This is True Self, a podcast about seeking to know who we really are using the language of astrology. I'm Laura Swepp. I have known a lot of Capricorns, suns, moons, risings, and just Capricorn dominant people who have expressed feeling alienated by the image of Capricorn that we typically have. The money-oriented, achievement-seeking, workaholic kind of personality. Most Capricorns can identify with that in some way. They can see that it relates to who they are, but it can feel very flat and kind of like it lacks depth. And that's a real shame because Capricorn is an incredibly deep sign and it contains a lot more than just achievement and work, although those are elements of how we understand the sign. Capricorn is the cardinal earth sign, meaning it's the sign of the zodiac that conveys the element of earth most purely and clearly. And Capricorns very much identify with that part of the sign, the comfort in nature, comfort in the rhythms of nature, kind of vibe of an earth sign. And also it's ruled by Saturn, which is the planet of restrictions and limitations and understanding our mortality. And so Capricorn's genius, the thing that it does best out of all the zodiac signs, is working with what is available and making something beautiful out of the material that it has available, accessible around it. This can look like achievement. It can look like setting a goal and climbing towards the goal. That's the classic Capricorn manifestation. But the symbols that we're talking about when we're talking about Capricorn and its Saturn rulership and its representation of the element of Earth, they're a little deeper than we can get to when we're on the surface. So today on the podcast, we are going to talk about the foundational elements of Capricorn, its Saturn rulership, and its representation of the element of Earth as the cardinal Earth sign. We'll dig into Hermeticism and its view of the universe and how the element of Earth and Saturn end up relating to money, which brings us to the Capricorn association with money. And we will talk about all of the many transits that have been going on in Capricorn for the last several years, how we've dealt with that collectively, and how it has affected the current situation of sort of global crisis. And then finally, as usual, we will talk about how Capricorn characterizes your own life using your birth chart as a guide. And we'll look at how those transits of the last several years have impacted you from that perspective. The skills to survive, the awareness of our mortality, and the mystery of living here in material reality, today on True Self. So some of the reasons we associate Capricorn with money have to do with, well, with its whole symbolic structure, I guess. It's the cardinal earth sign. It represents the purest expression of the element of earth in the zodiac. And very often we associate the element of earth with money for some very good reasons. And Capricorn is ruled by Saturn, which is the planet of mortality, time, and restriction. So 
Capricorn's the first sign we have talked about that is ruled by Saturn. And being ruled by Saturn is a very uh, interesting situation. Saturn is a planet that has traditionally scared people. It rules time and mortality and restriction. And when Saturn is affecting you, you can expect a kind of check-in with your mortality and with your limited time. Often, it's like a sort of check your watch kind of effect. Like, you're going to die. What are you doing with your time? Is often the message of Saturn. And a lot of people are not crazy about that. The thing about Capricorn is that because it's an expression of that awareness of restriction and limited time and our decaying bodies and all that kind of stuff, it is able to master something about material existence that it can teach the rest of us. We tend to simplify this capacity into achievement and money making, right? There is something about making a lot of money and achieving a lot of goals that communicates to us a mastery of limited resources, limited time. But there really is a lot to think about in what it means to have mastery of being a mortal being. And also, I think a lot of reason to question the idea that that looks like constant achievement, especially if that constant achievement involves constant work and no leisure time. In no way does Saturn tell us we shouldn't make time to enjoy our lives. All it tells us is that the project of incarnation that we are involved in has an end date. And it doesn't really care if we get like promoted at work. That's not really the business of Saturn at all. Now, of course, Saturn and Capricorn actually can have plenty to do with our careers. And Capricorn can be so good at identifying what it wants, setting the goal, working towards it, getting it done. But where achievement becomes the goal for achievement's sake, where the focus is not on what is actually desired in life, but just on hitting a target, hitting a target, hitting a target without a lot of uh, thoughtfulness behind that, that is where Capricorn can go dark. And in the last few years, as we've had all these transits in Capricorn and the South Node in Capricorn, we've all been learning about how we suffer when we work just to say we're working or when we try to stay busy just for the sake of it and we don't know what we actually want out of that work. One thing it can be really helpful to know when you're thinking about the earth element in astrology and also in the tarot is that it doesn't relate as directly to the planet earth as it relates to experiencing time in a linear fashion and to having to live in a mortal body that's going to die. The idea in Hermeticism, the tradition from which modern Western astrology descends, is that time and mortality are these kind of illusions, this trick that we're playing on ourselves, and we're playing the trick on ourselves, we're giving ourselves restrictions, 
because what we actually are is an infinite, totally perfect, totally blissful being. And that removes free will from our existence. So we invented free will by creating restrictions for ourselves. And then we came into incarnation and imagined we were all separate beings when actually we're all one thing. And the one thing is God. The very quick summary of something I actually spent like three hours trying to talk through and really failed at. I think one of the reasons it's so hard for us to wrestle with the real depth of Capricorn and also the beneficence and the goodwill of Saturn is that we don't talk about these ideas very much. And it can be um, when you're talking about Saturn absent the idea of having chosen to incarnate, you really can only understand it from the negative side, right? You can't understand that there's a gift in that incarnation and that we've chosen that restriction. I hear myself speaking with a kind of uh, definitiveness, and I want to be clear that I don't think it's actually important. um, You know, you can get down with non-dualism or not. I do, to be transparent, but I, I don't think you have to be down with it to be into astrology. But it can be helpful to understand the philosophical framework when you're trying to understand how the system works and what the symbols mean. So in the last episode, I talked about how Cancer and Capricorn, as opposite ends, opposite polarities of a single theme, represent nurturing on the Cancer side and discipline on the Capricorn side, and that these are the characteristics of what is needed for something to grow up strong. Uh, How we need to love, right? Love requires both nurture and softness and some kind of structure and hardness to it. Otherwise, it gets weak or it is too rigid. So I did say you can think of this as loving mother disciplining father. That's true. But it's worth noting that both of these signs, Cancer and Capricorn, as a water and an earth sign, are receptive in nature, which is what we associate with the classic archetypal feminine. And so in some ways, we can think of this as a an axis of motherhood, an axis of the goddess, uh, especially because even though we've named Saturn after a male god, Saturn is often viewed as feminine in nature in some esoteric traditions. Okay, so anyway, so we've had this series of eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn. The south node has been in Capricorn, and during that time, we have been learning about the ways that achievement for achievement's sake and working ourselves to the point that we are unconscious of what is happening in our lives is very destructive and the ways we need to move away from that. As that's been happening and we've been collectively releasing our dysfunctional Capricorn ideas, we also have had Pluto and Capricorn, that's actually been there for quite a while, and we have had Saturn moving through Capricorn. Pluto is a very, very slow-moving planet. It has been in Capricorn since 2008, and it will be leaving for good in 2024. Saturn uh, stays in science for about two and a half years, approximately, and it entered 
Capricorn in 2017. So it's technically out of Capricorn right now in Aquarius, but it's going to be retrograding back into Capricorn, uh, and then it'll be staying there for the rest of the year. So the significance of those two planets in Capricorn has been that they had a conjunction in January. And a Saturn-Pluto conjunction is very rare, and it is scary because they're both kind of scary planets. Pluto helps us dig up what's under the surface and destroy our illusions. And I mean, he's the god of the underworld. He kind of brings hell to us constructively. And still, that's what he does. And then Saturn, as we've talked about, owns our restrictions, our constraints, our mortality. So those two planets coming together really scared the... I've been trying not to curse on this show so that I don't have to mark it as explicit. It scared the bejesus out of a lot of astrologers. It was a big subject at the end of 2019. I was thinking just a ton about resources because of these Capricorn themes of work and the Uranus in Taurus themes of radical change in our uh, relationship to resource, to the Earth's resources. So I was thinking about like political revolution and stuff. And, you know, there's still time, I guess. But um, yeah, the virus just wasn't. It was not on my radar. It was on one guy's radar, though. I'll link him in the show notes. Okay, so we had the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Big deal, especially with the South Node in Capricorn. And a lot of these transits, you know, there are times when you're talking about transits and you end up focusing in on the personal because they're happening sort of closer to home. I wanted to think about the Venus retrograde, for example, from the perspective of the collective, but I had a really hard time with it. I ended up having to really go with the personal because it's hard for me to think of Venus in the collective. She has a collective impact. The last time Venus went retrograde um, was in Scorpio, and that was during the time of the Kavanaugh hearings, which had just a huge impact on the culture, right? It it was a big deal. But yeah, I have trouble seeing Venus as a collective influence. Similarly, all these outer planets and the south node in Capricorn together, it's like hard to see it personally almost because the collective impact is so huge. That being said, it's been very clear during this time that people with cardinal sign placements, that is your Capricorns, of course, your Cancers, your Libras, and your Aries is, um, it's been a, an intense time for the cardinal signs because all of this energy happening in Capricorn has been creating either squares or oppositions or conjunctions for those signs. And actually with Pluto and Saturn, all of those are really difficult. So there's not really a a get out of jail free card with any of those aspects when it comes to Pluto and Saturn. So it's been a wild ride for cardinal signs in the last several years. Now, the final influence that has been taking place in Capricorn just really this year, it happened in December of last year, but really mostly it's been 2020, is that Jupiter entered Capricorn. And Jupiter, most of the time, is uh, what we call a benefic, 
a positive, helpful influence. And he's not totally out of that role when he's in Capricorn, but he struggles in Capricorn. Uh, in mythology, Jupiter was Saturn's son and Saturn ate all of his children because of a prophecy that one of his children was going to kill him. And then Jupiter uh, arranged to trick Saturn into eating a rock instead of him, then freed all of his brothers and sisters from Saturn's stomach and murdered Saturn. So they don't get along super well. And Capricorn is a Saturn-ruled sign. So it can be... uh, Jupiter's influence is just less benefic, I guess we would just say less benefic in Capricorn than it might be in other signs. That being said, the main thing about Jupiter being in Capricorn is that Jupiter sometimes is helpful, sometimes is benefic, but always, always, always makes things bigger. And so when we see Jupiter heading toward Pluto and Saturn, and we know that whatever is happening because of the Pluto-Saturn conjunction is going to get bigger when Jupiter touches it. In the context of a pandemic, that is also not so fun. So I'm actually not trying to scare you. <laughs> I, I don't think I was comfortable talking about any of this before we knew that something terrible was happening. But since it's happening now, it feels a little safer and a little less like I'm going to create panic by simply acknowledging the astrological correlations with the situation that we are currently experiencing. And that situation has an effect on us personally as well. So we're going to talk about that in the personalized segment of the podcast where we talk about your chart. But real quick, I just want to come back to Capricorn expressing in the personality uh, before we get started with the personalized segment to kind of ground some of the heavy topics we've talked about here into an expression in a human being. So when we're talking about a an understanding of mortality and limits and a genius for working within those limits and a genius for making the most out of the experience of being embodied and living. When we're talking about that expressing in a human being, it often looks like someone who is serious and knows their sh- Sorry, I just swore. So you just heard a little... Um, bleep a little blink there. You're going to hear a couple blinks in this episode. I have been swearing a little bit. <laughs> so anyway, so they, they've they got their stuff together, these Capricorns. Um, right. So even though I'm saying seriousness, the truth is Capricorns can be incredibly funny. They have a very grim sense of humor, a sense of humor that accepts things as they are. And it can be a little morbid, but it's also, I think Capricorn can actually be the funniest sign in the Zodiac, truly. But that humor comes out of their inherent seriousness. I hope you can hold that polarity with me. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's the awareness of the ugly stuff that can make them funny, right? So, but the seriousness comes in, in the like, all right, stop messing around. We're getting this done kind of energy that happens in Capricorn. 
it's also the cardinal earth sign. So Capricorns can be very, very, very excited about nature and comforted by nature. They like to be out in the woods, just like all the earth signs, connected to rhythms. And all of the rhythms of nature are really part of having an embodied experience, right? We've talked about thinking about time as an illusion, and that's true from this sort of higher perspective of not being a human being. But a Capricorn is very grounded in the fact that they are a human being, they are an animal, and so they take comfort in connecting to natural rhythms. And all the earth signs really do. It's that groundedness in the animal nature and the human nature that shows up in an earth sign. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to touch on. Obviously, we're going to talk about the Capricorn personality in different facets as we get into the personalized section. Um, we've talked about Saturn. We've talked about seriousness. We've talked about Earth. Um, I guess the last thing that I would touch on is that when we think about Cancer and Capricorn as representing the two ends of loving something, the two ends of taking good care of something, I think it's helpful to remember that Capricorn needs to be connected to its nurturing side, otherwise it gets too dry, too self-focused. In the way we think about the elements in astrology, dry means you're focused on the self and not super connected to other people. Uh, wet means that you're focused on others, you're connecting to other people. So Capricorn needs to connect to its cancer side, otherwise it can get very like inward and um, and kind of mean, a little bit mean. So it needs its, its watering and it needs its water sign friends to kind of bring it that nurturing water, like, you know, pouring water on dry, cracked ground. You need that if it's too earthy or too fiery up in a Capricorn. Okay, so let's get into the personalized segment of this podcast, which I actually recorded before I recorded this. I want to give you a heads up that this time I tried to make a YouTube video as I was recording the personalized segments. I did successfully make a video of some kind, but I thought that this microphone was turned on while I was doing it, and it wasn't. So all I had to work with was the audio from my phone camera, which is not as high quality. So it might sound a little tinny compared to how it normally sounds for this section, but I've done my best with it. I think it's listenable, basically. Anyway. As a reminder, if you'd like to follow along with this section, you can go to 8th.house, that's numeral 8, H-O-U-S-E. There you can find a worksheet that will allow you to follow along with each of the signs as we go through them. You'll also find show notes on the site that contain timestamps so that you can more easily figure out where your sign is in the recording. So here it is. Here's how Capricorn and the sign of Capricorn characterize your own life using your birth chart as a guide.
we're talking about today how Capricorn characterizes the parts of your life based on ideally your rising sign, but you can listen to this for your sun sign if you don't know your rising sign. So your chart contains all 12 houses and as we go through this series, we're talking about how the different signs characterize those different parts of your life. So we're starting today with Capricorn and Capricorn rising. If you're a Capricorn or Capricorn rising, Capricorn characterizes your first house of identity. So you identify with the traits of Capricorn. I've done that so many times on the podcast, just been like, just loop the description. Okay, so we've talked about the traits of Capricorn a little bit so far in this episode. There is a gritty realism to Capricorn that is really, to me, the defining characteristic of the sign. There's a sense of humor that's kind of grim. There's uh, the capacity to work with what is around you, what is available to you, and to get things done. I'm finding it's a little different to talk into my face than it is to just kind of be looking around and thinking about it as, as I'm describing it. Okay, so to have a Capricorn first house means that your identity is settling in this place of realism and capacity to work with the material circumstances that you have been provided with. Obviously, we talk a lot about money and achievement with Capricorn. I think a lot of people are alienated by that, as I said earlier. Um, but also, you know, there's the, the, the thread that we can touch into with Capricorn and money is that the capacity to live life well and do exactly what you want to do with the resources that you have, that is a very Capricornian capacity. If you're a Capricorn first house, you have been experiencing a lot of shifts in your identity. And those shifts have been with the South Node, releasing things that aren't working in your identity anymore, especially where that has to do with the Capricornian themes of achievement for achievement's sake, of uh, working yourself to the point that you're not enjoying the fruits of your labor, that kind of stuff. The whole world has been going through that, but that's been deeply affecting a Capricorn Rising's identity and sense of self. On top of that, since 2008, so for a long ass time, you have been working through uh, the Pluto and Capricorn issues. This is a major characterizing energy of your life, of an entire era of your life, um, where your identity is being excavated and things are being pulled to the surface. And you probably don't even know what it feels like to be you without that influence at this point, because it's been there for so long. But if you can remember back before 2008, might have been a really different vibe um, to what was going on for you. So we talked about the Cancer 7th house in the last episode, so I think I will skip that, but I'll just point back to when you're a Capricorn or a Capricorn rising, you identify more with the disciplined get it done side of taking care of things and you look more 
in your partners for the caring, nurturing, taking care of people kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but you contain both because if you have the polarity, you contain both ends of it. Okay, let's move on to Sagittarius and Sagittarius rising. <laughs> I do this a lot. I've been doing yoga and I am just constantly doing the prayer hands. Um, okay, Sagittarius and Sagittarius rising. Capricorn is your second house, which is your house of self-worth and value, and it also relates to how you make money in the world. As I've been doing this series, I've been thinking a lot about how second houses are a little bit cruel. It's the nature of self-worth and value because your second house is always the sign right after you, which is always a sign that you don't identify with quite as much. Uh, it, it's like a half step different from you, which makes it pretty hard to understand. Same thing with your 12th house. It's like a half step behind you. So a Sagittarius is looking at an identity that's all about exploration and growth and learning new things and expansion, and then tends to value themselves and find their value in how they get stuff done and how they make things happen and how they work and how they achieve. And there's a tension in that. There is a tension in every single second house because of this effect of like, it's a half step different from the thing you're identifying with. And so to be a Sagittarius or Sagittarius rising identity in this creative, expansive space, and then self-worth and value coming in, in the part of your life where you get things done you work within what's been provided to you. You understand that you're going to die and that you have a limited amount of time to do what you need to do. Um, people can see this playing out if they're doing really well with their second house. They're a together Sagittarius, right? They're not as scattered as some of our mutable impulses can tell us to be. If a Sagittarius isn't doing so well with their second house, they maybe uh, feel the tension really intensely between this way of valuing themselves and their identity, and they feel like they're not measuring up as much. But the real thing to understand about Capricorn, or I think just in making peace with the Capricorn part of our lives in general, is that we're not being asked in this part of our lives to just work ourselves to death at all, at all. All we're being asked to do in this part of our lives is do the best with what we've got and and come back to the Capricorn genius for doing the best with what we've got. So advice to Sagittarius and Sagittarius risings. I'm, I'm a Sagittarius sun. I feel this to some extent. Um, focus on doing the best with what you've got. Try to pull back from achievement for achievement's sake. That's everybody. And we've all been learning it with the South Node in Capricorn. But when it plays into your self-worth and your value, you know, it has a little extra sting to it. Okay. Again, Scorpio and Scorpio rising, Capricorn third house. Again, from doing this series for a minute, I have been realizing that I really just hate describing cadent houses. Cadent houses are... Uh, whatever. I'm not going to try to explain cadent houses right now. There are parts in the chart where like 
if you were standing in your first house, you'd have a hard time seeing them. They sort of like are a little bit invisible and they tend to be the least emphasized parts of your character and your personality. So when I get to describing third houses and sixth houses and kind of ninth houses and uh, definitely twelfth houses, I'm always like, you know, I don't know if you're going to care about this or if it's going to connect very deeply, but it's still helpful to understand that these cadent houses of ours are characterized by certain energies, especially if you have planets and placements in the cadent houses, then they become a little more resonant and they, they pop out a little bit more for you. So that being said, Scorpio's third house is characterized by Capricorn. The third house is the house of our daily communications, the little rabbit trails that we follow through our community as we go throughout our day-to-day -day lives, and of our siblings and our family relationships that are not with our parents or our ancestry. They're just aunts, uncles, cousins, the way we experience our family in its extended form. So most of the time for me, I experience the third house, I experience third house transits generally as having a lot to do with either my sister or people who kind of fill this sisterly role in my life. So siblings definitely can be just a big focus of third house transits and stuff that happens in the third house. But also a little harder to wrap our heads around is this way that we show up to our community on a daily basis, the way that people are perceiving us as we walk through our daily lives, the repeated patterns of our daily lives. And for a Scorpio rising, you might be showing up to your day-to-day -day life appearing as a Capricorn. Maybe you seem to have a grim understanding of the realities of life. That's very Scorpionic. Um, also, you might have that sort of grim sense of humor of a Capricorn showing up mostly in your day-to-day -day communications and the people that you're talking to on a regular basis, which is a fun thing about Scorpio. Um, and then, you know, keep an eye out for either Capricornian siblings or Capricornian sibling-like people showing up in your life, or even having a Capricorn attitude toward the people who fill those roles for you. So for example, your siblings might see you as being very put together and, and knowing what to do in different situations. Okay, so that's the third house. Take it or leave it. All right, for a Libra and a Libra rising, the fourth house, which is the house of home origins and roots, is characterized by the energy of Capricorn. It's characterized by the grim realities of life, doing the best with what you've got, um, survival, and sometimes it's even characterized by a lot of structure, sort of in response to those themes. Um, as a result, so you can almost think of the fourth house as the way that you experience childhood, and then that sort of sprouts and blossoms into the rest of your chart, right? So as a result of experiencing childhood in this way, the Libra in their identity becomes very focused on diplomacy and making sure everybody gets along and gets their needs met. In their uh, relationships, they look for the other end of that, the people who can like protect them and take, take care of them or take care of even the group, right? The Aries energy. And then in their career, they show up in this cancer-like way of like, 
they're nurturing and taking care of people. So everything really sprouts out of the way we experience our childhoods in the fourth house. And then our moon has something to do with it and all that stuff. But the fourth house is the root. It's the root of the whole chart. So, uh, hmm. Yes. The last several years, you've been expect experiencing this release and letting go in ways that you relate to your roots and your origins, your family, um, and even your home, your, your home that you have now might have changed, which changes in our homes that we live in as adults can kind of reflect these changes in the way we relate to our upbringing and where we come from. There's a reflective quality in that. So fourth house transits can lead to changes in your home environment, but often those changes in your home environment are a reflection of a change in the way you are rooted, a change in the way you relate to your roots and your origins. In general, fourth house is about how you experience childhood. And so siblings can have very different fourth houses based on how they experience their childhoods differently, right? Um, and sometimes you find siblings who all have very similar fourth houses, but I guess that goes without saying. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. <laughs> um, I was thinking earlier, this is what I thought about when I thought about the fourth house, instead of thinking about how it actually affects Libra, that one of the things about if you're listening for your rising sign and your sun sign, you might think about hearing the fourth house for one and hearing the fourth house for the other and thinking about how they characterize your childhood in different ways and the way you experience childhood in different ways. Um, so if you were a Libra sun with a Sagittarius rising, that would mean that you were a Capricorn fourth house from your sun and then in the real astrology from your rising sign, you would be a Pisces fourth house. And you could think about how maybe the dreamy Pisces stuff also characterized your fourth house in addition to that Capricorn stuff. So I actually, I recommend it the other way. Listen for your rising sign first and then get some extra detail from your sun sign. But you can kind of see the ways that uh, different elements of your childhood are reflected in your sun sign and your rising sign if you listen for both. Just a note. Okay, moving on to Virgo, Capricorn and Capricorn, nope, Virgo and Virgo rising. Capricorn, I'm going to say that again for the recording because I'm going to edit it. So Virgo and Virgo rising. Capricorn characterizes your fifth house of creativity, fun, sexuality, and children. So this is the house where we express ourselves. It's the house where we take great joy in sharing who we are with the world. It's a great house. Um, you can see if you think through all of those different themes, creativity and sexuality and children and fun, that all of those things are sort of different ways of self-expression, different modes of self-expression. And self-expression is in many ways you can think of it as one of the main reasons to be alive. It's to find what's unique and special about you and share it with the world and do that as a gift, right? There's overlap in the themes of Leo and the fifth house as well. So, so 
Virgo fifth house, the way that they're expressing and sharing who they are with the world, Virgo fifth house, Virgo with a Capricorn fifth house, the way that they're expressing and sharing themselves with the world is in the mode of Capricorn. It is uh, realistic, a little bit grim, <laughs> but uh, along with that, the grim sense of humor that comes with it, right? The capacity to face into the dark parts of life and just get it done, just move through it. Um, Virgo Risings might even like to create art that involves like bones or dead flowers or things like literal references to death. Um, sometimes a Virgo Rising's artistic sense and creative sense really like intersects with references to mortality. What else do I have to say about the Virgo Fifth House? Um, honestly, I guess I would say that sometimes we experience transits in in one part of the description of the house and sometimes in the other. So there are probably some Virgo risings who have experienced the shifts of the last several years with the south node in Capricorn and the release of the Capricorn themes that aren't working. They might have experienced that something has really shifted in their creativity and their creative projects and the way that they uh, create stuff and put it out into the world, right? Maybe they've let go of an idea that they should be constantly working. Or they might have had a big shift in the way they experience their sexuality and different things happening in their sexuality too. So again, just like we were talking about in the fourth house, things can reflect, right? A lot of the time you can look at your life and you can see it happening in the different facets of the way the house is described. It's happening in your creativity and your sexuality. And maybe also you've had a child or you're, it's, it's happening in the way you relate to your children. So, and there's just this reflective capacity happening between the themes. So yeah, the, there's also been the Pluto excavation and the Saturn <laughs> realness. Any, any, as we're talking about the Capricorn, uh, characterizing houses, like you have been experiencing changes in this part of your life. And hopefully as we're moving towards the end of some of these transits, you're starting to see some of the uh, gifts and outcomes, at least in a tiny bit. You probably won't see them fully for a minute, but like you're starting to see a little bit of what those transits have brought to you. Okay, Leo and Leo rising. Capricorn characterizes your sixth house of service and of daily habits and day-to-day uh, stuff that you do that ultimately affects your health. I have said this in many episodes. I'm going to say it again. The way you eat, the way you exercise, the way you either drink or do drugs or smoke or don't do any of those things, that's what you find in the sixth house, as well as the ways you are in service to other people. So often we find our employment situations in the sixth house. Um, I would say somebody who's self-employed is probably a little less likely uh, to see anything other than like customer relationships showing up in the sixth house. It because it has to do with like the ways that you, yeah, that you're in service to other people. And sometimes you can see uh, not only volunteer work, but the ways that you kind of, even in your friendships or your family relationships, show up to serve other people. 
The sixth house, again, is a cadent house. So it is a little less visible in the character, not as strongly identified with for, in this case, the Leo or Leo rising. And so sometimes these descriptions aren't going to be like really, uh, I don't know, where you're like, yeah, that's totally me because actually this is a part of your life where you might not feel that identification as much, but this is the part of your life that Capricorn characterizes. And importantly, it is also the part of your life where you've been experiencing these huge changes in the last few years. So you might be more aware of it than you would be otherwise because of all those shifts. So to be a Leo or Leo rising with a Capricorn sixth house is to have the sort of grim realities, get down to business, make it happen, work with what you've got, energy of Capricorn, characterizing the part of your life that is about habits and that is about service. That can show up for a Leo or Leo rising in a way where they are uh, kind of just very business-like about their employment or what they've got to do for others. And also it can show up as, as uh, this is kind of a nice thing for a Leo or Leo rising, a structured approach to the things they do to support their health. Um, I'm trying to think about like how that might go wrong or like not be reflected well for the Leo or Leo rising. And I feel like that would look like, it would look like the Capricorn freak out where you like, achieve for achievement's sake, you work yourself to death, that kind of stuff. That that could show up in a, a Capricorn sixth house for Leo or Leo rising. In the last several years, you've been releasing the things that don't work in this part of your life. Um, I would say that those themes I've referred to over and over again about working for work's sake without really knowing what the goal is or what you want to get out of it, um, that achievement for achievement's sake. You know, when I think about Leo, I think about like relationship to physical health and wellness and maybe some disorientation around that being released in the last several years as we've had the South Node there. Along with a long, long-term excavation with Pluto and Capricorn of this part of your life and uh, having to face up to some realities and some some serious restrictions as Saturn moves through this part of your chart. It's interesting. I don't know why I haven't really been thinking about this, but like, yeah, for Leo and Leo rising, you'd expect that there would be some changes in the way they take care of themselves and their health over the last several years and maybe over a longer period than that, but especially since 2017. Cancer and Cancer rising. Capricorn characterizes your seventh house, of intimate relationships. Having Capricorn characterize your seventh house of intimate relationships points to, for the Cancer, the real importance of having a partner who is going to step up and take care of stuff with you. Um, cancer needs a responsible partner, a partner who recognizes that discipline and order are necessary, um, a partner that's going to kind of hold them in their uh, need for nurturing and support and provide a little structure. So we talk about the first and seventh houses 
the first house being the part of this axis that you identify with the most, that you bring into how you think of yourself the most, and then the seventh house representing the way you look for the completion of that axis in another person because you don't identify with that polarity quite as much. So the Cancer Capricorn axis is about loving. It's about taking care of things well. As a Cancer or Cancer rising, you're identifying a little more with the emotional part of that, the nurturing part of that, the I'm going to tell people how loved they are part of that. And looking in your partners for the part of that that's like, I provide structure, I know that loving people well involves, uh, yeah, structure, rules. We we have ways that we're going to do this and we're not going to let it get out of hand. <laughs> what is it that I'm trying to explain here? You need structure, right? You, you're identifying more with the watery end of it you need in your partner somebody who's going to be like, and here's the responsibility. So that's it. First and seventh houses, though, you always contain both ends of the spectrum. So as a Cancer rising, you contain that Capricorn yourself. It can be very helpful to remember that and to find the ways that you can bring that part of who you are in more, um, especially if it's a little uneven. If you feel like you're always in your water sign-ish just kind of leaking all over the place and you're always looking to partners to hold you, it can be helpful to remember that you contain that structure as well. You can hold yourself too. You just have to bring in and allow yourself to identify with being structured and uh, working with limited resources and making it happen for yourself. Oof, I hope that made sense. Oh, okay, so in the last several years, as the South Node has been in Capricorn, you have been letting go of your ideas about partnership that haven't been working. Maybe you were looking for a type of responsibility in your partner that you recognized was a little out of balance. It wasn't kind of taking the whole picture into consideration. Or maybe you, yeah, we're looking somebody who was looking for somebody who was achieving and like getting stuff done, but you weren't really thinking about what that meant. And like now you're you're coming into a healthier understanding of what does it mean for a partner to be responsible to me? And you're seeing that with a little more nuance and complexity than you were seeing it before. Also, Pluto has been excavating the way you relate to partners for a very long time, so you're all the way in that. And Saturn, as it's moved through this house of your chart since 2017, has been bringing limits and responsibility and hard lessons to you in this part of your life, the way that you relate to your partners. All right, I'll tell you what. Gemini and Gemini rising. I'm just going to start talking and see if it kind of unfolds for me. The eighth house is, it's not a cadent house, but it is one of the ones that's hard to explain because it's very dark and mysterious. Um, so Capricorn characterizes your eighth house of birth, death, and transformation. This is uh, to, to shorthand that birth, death, and transformation theme. This house represents how we heal. So... 
we come into the eighth house and we die to an old self and we are reborn in a new self. And for Gemini, that process is characterized by the energy of Capricorn. It's a get it done, make it happen, kind of no bullshit sort of way of healing. Um, it's I'm reflecting on Gemini's that I know as I'm talking about this. We don't see people's eighth houses playing out very clearly because this is an internal happening in the dark kind of process. But there is a Gemini tendency to like when they have to work through something, it is with Capricornian efficiency. Um, almost because they just don't want to with it for longer than they have to. So that's that's it. I, I'm I'm gonna stick with that. It's a it's a difficult, challenging house. It happens in a Capricorn style for Gemini. Now, maybe a little more interesting. In the last several years, as we've had the South Node in Capricorn, and we've been releasing all of these Capricorn things that don't work, the Gemini process of healing has been transforming and changing. So the way that you approach needing to let go of something old and kind of burn up and become a new version of yourself, the, that painful process, maybe before you were just trying to snap through it and like, again, there's a weird way in which Capricorn achievement comes in for Gemini in this part of life. Like you're just trying to get to the, like, I did it. I, I healed from it. I'm done. And maybe in the last several years that it's become apparent how that doesn't work and how you have to kind of show up still with that part of you present that can work with what you've got and heal from something, but also um, ready to take it seriously and not try to just get it done as fast as possible with as little effort as possible. I hope that's not insulting, but that does feel like the Gemini Capricorn 8th house to me. All right. Taurus and Taurus rising. Capricorn ninth house. So for Taurus and Taurus rising, having Capricorn characterize your ninth house is having the discipline and ability to work through things with what you've got applied to your growth and your spiritual expansion. So the ninth house is the house of travel and it's the house of higher education. It's the house of publishing and it's the house of God. It's the house of spirituality. So depending on where you are in life, sometimes you might experience the ninth house as being primarily about how you learn new things. And then sometimes you might experience the ninth house as your spirituality, like flat out, like you find all of your spiritual growth in the ninth house. All of it may be a little of an overstatement, but you find a lot of it in the ninth house. So, um, so it feels a little different depending on where you're coming from. But for a person who's very spiritually oriented, 
which we who are into astrology often are, um, this is a way of experiencing spirituality that is very focused on achievement. I'm getting it done. I'm moving to the next level. I'm understanding. Again, we can kind of see with Gemini, that business-like approach is happening in the realm of healing. And for Taurus and Taurus rising, that business-like approach comes in when it has to do with our spiritual growth and how we are learning more and becoming larger, incorporating more into ourselves. In the last several years, Taurus and Taurus rising, (laughs) if you notice I'm saying we and our, it's because I'm a Taurus rising. Um, In the last several years, Taurus and Taurus rising have been letting go of and releasing, uh, again, achievement for achievement's sake, adding another notch to the I get it list that you have going. Um, You know, and also like, I'm trying to think from the perspective of somebody who's a little less like deep into the spirituality end of it. So Taurus and Taurus rising might also experience this as letting go of, um, you know, traveling for the sake of checking something off your list, going to school for the sake of saying you did it, right? Those kinds of things are things that we've been letting go of. And then we've been finding ways to bring that growth in for our own sake, for the sake of our expansion. And we still can bring the Capricorn genius for like getting it done to that expansion, but we're not doing it so much just to, just to do it in the way that we were before this South Node transit. All right. So Taurus and Taurus rising is what we just did. And now we're going to Aries and Aries rising. Capricorn characterizes your 10th house of career and reputation and the way you show up in the world. This is not always the way that we make money. And if you're younger, like in your 20s, it often isn't the way that you make money because you might have started a job that isn't necessarily related to how you are received in the world and the way that people experience the fruits of your existence. If you listen to the podcast, you've heard me use this word fruits and fruiting about the 10th house a lot. But basically, you know, I talked about how the fourth house is the root of the whole chart. The 10th house is the fruit. So you're expressing yourself in the fifth house. That's the self-expression. But then the way that it ends up fruiting into the world, the way that the seed of you blossoms, you see that happen in the 10th house. So ideally, that does end up being something about your career. It's what you're able to do every day. And um, maybe you even make money off of it. Or maybe it is your passion and what you care about the most and you don't make money off of it. But regardless, it is the way that people end up receiving your existence. Um, We could say it's the way people end up seeing you, but obviously the first house has a ton to do with that too because that's your identity and the way you're perceived. And then even the third house comes into the way you're seen, right? You're seen from different angles by different people in your life. But the 10th house is where the public sees you. It's where everybody sees you. It is is what is visible about who you are. 
So for an Aries or Aries rising, that is characterized by Capricorn. The capacity to get things done, the capacity to provide structure and be the one who says, this is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, what do we have available? How are we going to make it happen? That's what shows up to the world in the Aries personality. In the last several years, you have been letting go of ideas about what that's supposed to be or patterns in the way that that works that just don't function anymore. So again, I've been saying that this a lot in this segment, but achievement for achievement's sake or working so much that you're not receiving the fruits of your work, um, feeling like you're supposed to stay busy all the time, those are things that Aries and Aries Risings have been letting go of as the South Node has been in Capricorn. Plus, there's the many years long excavation and uh, tearing down of (laughs) the lies we tell ourselves that's been going on in Capricorn with Pluto there. And Saturn has been moving through this part of your life for several years and has been bringing you to terms with the limits and the restrictions and the reality of your mortality that affect your career. Also, a Saturn transit through the 10th house, if you are sort of on track and you are showing up in the world with your full self, right? A Saturn transit can get you really focused on what you're doing. And if you're not showing up to the world in authenticity, like as who you truly are and sharing your deepest self, then a Saturn transit through that house can create real problems that you're forced to deal with, basically. Pisces and Pisces rising. Capricorn characterizes the 11th house of social circle and community. I always love thinking of the patterns in um, in the way we look at whole sign houses. And a water sign always has a earth 11th house. So the watery personality is always finding containment in the social circle. And an earth sign always has a water 11th house. So the earthy, grounded, kind of dry personality, the sort of self-absorption of the earth energy, then finds like nourishment and watering in the social circle. So for a Pisces to have this Capricorn energy characterizing their 11th house of social circle and community means that they find containment, they find structure in the people that they spend their time around, associate with, and are in community with. It can mean, yeah, a lot of Capricorns show up in your social circle and community uh, because you're seeking that containment, that being heldness. Um, And it also can mean that uh, there is sort of a Capricornian vibe to the group of people you hang out with. Maybe that grim sense of humor is very prevalent there or, you know, Capricorn stuff. (laughs) Um, In the last several years, 
as the south node has been moving through Capricorn. You have been releasing stuff around how you relate to your community, how you show up in community. And I'm thinking this through right now about what that means for Pisces, because I've continually throughout the rest of these sign readings been saying, you know, letting go of achievement for achievement's sake, uh, remembering that you're not supposed to stay busy all the time, that you actually do need downtime. And as I'm thinking about how that shows up for a Pisces 11th house, um, it feels like it is relating to not running around trying to keep a social calendar occupied, um, not necessarily not looking for people who are going to tell you, who are going to be harsh with you, but people who can contain you. So obviously Capricorn, I haven't talked about this at all, but Capricorn can be a really harsh sign, right? It's a, it's a get down to business, take care of your shit kind of a sign. And when it is functioning well, and it has enough of the water end of things, it knows that it wants to take care of business take care of shit because it cares about people, right? But when it doesn't have enough water, when it's really, really dry, it's almost just annoyed with the whole world for not understanding how to do this, right? So for a sensitive Pisces, I'm sorry, it's about to call you a sensitive little Pisces, but for that sensitive Pisces spirit, if you've had a lot of people in your life who have been on that really harsh end of the Capricorn characterization and not so containing and supporting, that might be something you've been letting go of as well. Okay. If you're an Aquarius or Aquarius rising, Capricorn characterizes your 12th house. Once again, I'm going to point out that this is a cadent house, so it is not as easily understood. None of the cadent houses are. And then the 12th house is the house of the unseen, the karmic past, and the collective unconscious, uh, the connection to the collective unconscious. So it is especially not easy to see in ourselves. So that's worth thinking about. Having Capricorn characterize your 12th house as an Aquarius or Aquarius rising means that this Capricornian achievement, Capricornian, getting down to business, grimness, awareness of mortality forms like the baseline code of your identity as an Aquarius. Aquarius traditionally is a Saturn ruled sign. So when we come into Aquarius energy, we're thinking more about the responsibility to the collective. When we're in Capricorn, we're thinking more of the responsibility to ourselves. The responsibility to the self that Capricorn represents is like the coding that results in the Aquarian responsibility to the collective. The Aquarian understands responsibility to the self in its unconscious and then reflects that in responsibility to the community in its identity. That is probably the best I have ever explained a 12th house in this whole series. <laughs> it's not easy to explain a 12th house. So 
in the last several years, as we've been experiencing all these transits in Capricorn and the South Node in Capricorn, you have been releasing anything that doesn't work, unhealthy Capricorn themes in the realm of this code, this underlying coding of who you are, which means you probably haven't been super able to describe how that's been working or super even conscious of how it works. Um, but what it means is that sense of responsibility to yourself, which is quite unconscious to you, has been just dumping stuff out that doesn't work anymore. So if in your sense of responsibility to yourself, your unconscious sense of responsibility to yourself, you were sort of unconsciously moving towards checking off boxes, getting stuff done for the sake of getting it done, or keeping yourself busy all the time without making room for what you really need in life, then that's been getting sort of let go. It's been falling out the drain in your 12th house. Have you known it was happening? Not necessarily, but you have felt it. We, we can feel these 12th house transits even when we can't describe them. And so for an Aquarius or Aquarius rising, that feeling of like, oh, it's getting like dumped out has been happening in a part of you that's very difficult to explain, but it's there. Also, Pluto moving through Capricorn, Pluto moving through this 12th house since 2008 for years and years and years has been excavating all of the nasty stuff in this unconscious part of who you are. And I don't remember off the top of my head when Pluto is moving into Aquarius. It's going to be years from now. Oh, 2024. That's when it's happening. So at that point, all that stuff that's been happening in your unconscious for a, an entire era of your life, then you'll be able to see it unfolding in your personality. And I know that that doesn't sound like great, <laughs> but I actually think, I think it's good. I think a lot of this stuff that you've been processing unconsciously when Pluto moves into your first house, you're gonna know what it means and that's gonna be helpful. All right, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes if you like it, share it with a friend if you like it, leave a review if you like it, literally do anything. It would help me a lot right now. I really appreciate you spending this time with me. I hope that you are doing very, very well, and I will talk to you next week.